Hi, I'm your host, Selena Vidya, and welcome to the Permissionless Podcast, where we celebrate and explore journeys into the unknown with badass individuals, creatives, and entrepreneurs who are living permissionless lives. My guest today is Erica De La Cruz. Erica is a TV personality and entrepreneur in the entertainment and boss babe industry. She's the founder and creative director for the sold-out Passion to Paycheck conference and talk show, best-selling author of the book Passionistas, Tips, Tales, and Tweetables from Women Pursuing Their Dreams. We have quite a few mutual friends, and when we ended up meeting, I absolutely loved your energy, Erica. Thank you so much for coming on an episode of the podcast. Hey, Selena. I'm so excited. So excited to be here. And Leah, likewise, we met through mutual friends, and I'm like, wow, she's like my soul sister. Yeah. And I know we have, we have so much to talk about. I mean, you do so many things across so many different areas. So let's take it back a second um, and go to the beginning. So where did you grow up? Yeah, I grew up um, in this really tiny town in Northern California. It's called Los Banos, California. There's like cows, one high school. It's, it's, I mean, the freeway runs right through it. So there's not even an exit. So (laughs) I'm from a pretty small town in Northern, um, Northern California. But then after high school, the ambitions and dreams sort of took me elsewhere. So I ended up in San Diego after that. Okay. And what did you end up going to school for? Um, let's see. So I went to, uh, I'm an Aztec. So I went to San Diego State and I went to school for I was, I'm one of those rare people who went to school for technically what I'm doing now. Like most people you meet, it's like, oh, I majored in history or anthropology and they're, I don't know, they're like in PR. But my uh, major was communication and media studies. So uh, I majored there and then I, I had a minor in public speaking and then I sort of had an emphasis in nonverbal communication and interview. So uh, yeah, I kind of, um, it was a, I was fortunate to have a department where it let you mix and match courses to form like emphasis. So, you know, some people went into health communication and that was not my jam. So I kind of put everything together that I wanted to go into, which was, I guess, majority broadcasting. Mm-hmm. That's cool. It seems like it's really unique, uh, mostly to that school because a lot of the places just have a track and you can pick a couple of electives, but this seems pretty, pretty tailored. And I think um, it's great that there was something along that track that really flowed into what you're doing now. Yeah, no, it was fantastic. I mean, shout out to San Diego State. Like I had, God, I want to call it luck, but I just felt so grateful and fortunate to have the department because they're they're one of the number one communication departments, at least in the country, in terms of nonverbal and organizational communication, which you have to take. But then Mm -hmm. all these like nuanced courses started popping up and you could kind of, it it was my perfect, like you could tailor it exactly to what you wanted. Interestingly enough, we're talking about, you know, doing things permissionlessly. That was kind of it was you could pick and choose to formulate and create whatever you wanted. And you didn't really have to stick with that standard trajectory, I guess. So I still have an amazing relationship with the department so much so that uh, when I was starting out and I came to, uh, to LA, all of my interns for the first like three years and a couple quarters were from the same department. So I would just send, yeah, I would send the little, you know, opportunity over to the department that would post it. And then I would sort of take applications and do for them what was done for me. So it was really cool. That's great. I love it. It seems like, you know, a lot of people have college experiences where you go there, um, you go through the motions and you get, thrown into a lot of people and you you understand communications and relationship buildings, but this seems like it just carried on through and was a really, really big asset to you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like um, so many people are like, oh, college was a waste or, I mean, and not so many, but I've heard it, right? I've heard that said before. I shouldn't overgeneralize, but a lot of people say that they went to school, they learned some stuff and they've never applied it. And I am that rare person who has applied everything that I've learned and Yeah, I just took so much from the college experience. And I think it was like this little microcosm of how to network. And it was the first time I was like, oh, I should go to office hours and I should go visit my, you know, professors and see what they're up to on the weekends. And then sure enough, when opportunities, you know, would come in and they'd have to recommend someone, I was sort of on their recommendation list. So I think it's also how the student does college that matters you know, that applies to whether or not it's going to be valuable in the future. (laughs) 
Mm -hmm. I love that, how the student does college. That is so true. So as far as communications and media, is this something that you always had a pull towards or something you wanted to do? Or is it something that you wanted to try out and ended up falling in love with it? Yeah, you know, it's funny because we all start with our little, you know, when you're seven, what do you want to do? And like, legitimately, I remember, I remember being seven and being like, well, is there a job where you can just talk to people and entertain people and wear pretty dresses? And I remember my mom laughing, but it's so funny because this year, um, the question came up on, on one of the shows that I was a part of. And, and I remembered that moment and I'm like, it's so crazy because this entire week was me doing shows, obviously in television. So it's entertainment, talking and interviewing people and, uh, really just getting into the kind of fashion world is around fashion week. And I was just wearing all these pretty dresses. So I think when you're young, you have this idea of what you want to do. You're not sure what exists out in the world, but, um, I think I was just following what I was passionate about. I, I have always been passionate about, about that, like just entertainment in general. I knew the industry that I wanted to get into. Like I didn't fall into it exploring becoming a lawyer for, by any means. And, um, yeah. And then I went through some things when I was in my very first year of college that, sort of shook my world up and it was during the economy crash we i literally we just lost everything that we had ever owned and that was you know to our name and in having nothing it just um it made me a lot more risk tolerant and you know when you experience just kind of owning nothing everything you've ever known sort of you know our business closed our house was foreclosed it's weird but i felt like oh okay well I definitely don't have to take the light track anymore. And I was just taking bigger risks and, um, you know, being able to say, oh, I want to go into entertainment and I want to be a personality. I want to interview people as a more, I don't know, legitimate goal. Whereas I think that if I that hadn't happened to me in my first year of college, I may have gone, you know, the more safe route. I may have done the PR or the business or, you know, political science I remember looking at, but uh, it was sort of do or die. Uh, after the first year. Mm -hmm. I was talking to somebody in a previous episode and we talked a lot about, um, you know, there's various ways to quote unquote hit the bottom, whether it's when the economy crashes and unfortunately everything is lost or taken away, or if it's a personal hitting the bottom. And I feel like that's where the spark can really get lit because when you don't really have anything to lose per se, that's when you really think about what is my, my perfect ideal go-getting yeah. dream that I want to head towards. Yes. Yeah. I couldn't have, I mean, you, exactly that, the way that you put it. I feel that so many people, it, this is going to sound crazy, but I just feel so fortunate to have lost everything at such an early age. <laughs> um, I feel like this whole midlife crisis or, you know, these darker places that you evolve into as you grow as a human being, they often don't come until later in life. And it was weird because I remember graduating college and immediately, like, and when I must say immediately, I mean, two days after I started um, a job at Entercom Broadcasting where I was the marketing director. And at, at the time, I didn't know that, you know, director was a very big deal, but it was so crazy. All of the people hiring, all of the people at the company were well into their, you know, 40s, 50s. I had just turned 22. And it was this weird, like, um, I feel like my, uh, my transition into adulthood was sped up by by losing everything or hitting that rock bottom. And it wasn't something that I intentionally put out, but there was this energy and vibe where I used to get teased because they're like, oh, your best friends are 20 years older than you. And I didn't really know why, but I could carry a conversation on a different level. I mean, at 18, I had to figure out how to stay in school, how to do my taxes, how to get a scholarship out. Like, all of these things that kind of sped up the process. And I wouldn't, I would not have been able to tell you this then, but you know, five, six years later, I know for certain 100% that it was hitting that sort of rock bottom. And for, for, you know, I'm in a sorority. I just had joined. It was my first year in college and it was so surreal. Everything was sort of turned on its head in a month. And I lost communication with my family. You know, they went into um, some depression 
from the business being lost. My, uh, I know she doesn't mind me sharing this. My mother went into voluntary homelessness. Um, and they just, everyone, everyone and everything I knew was just sort of taken away. And I remember feeling scared and confused and lost. And I mean, I wasn't really depressed yet, but that would probably come in the next year or so. But I know that there was this feeling of like, okay, so now what? It's like when you have a deadline Mm -hmm. and um, yeah, they talk about having this deadline helps with procrastination because you just know you got to get it done. It was like this year of, you know, you got to get it done. And then when I was exploring what I wanted to do, there, there were no, like there was no dad to tell you to be a doctor or, you know, mom sort of to guide you. I just kind of went with, well, I kind of like this. So let me try it out. Um, so luckily after my corporate job, I really wanted to sort of escape into entrepreneurship and I had already done the corporate thing at 20, 23, 24, however old I was. So I was ready to transition. So yeah, rock bottom produces, uh, man, some of the most freeing experiences and kind of the mentality of freedom. I, I would say, I mean, it's unlike of every, unlike anything I've ever experienced. And I've seen, you know, friends, colleagues, they go through the same thing and coming out of it, it's just like, there's no, there's no more freeing or like eye-opening experience, I think, than, than hitting that personal low. So don't be, you know, yeah, I always tell my audiences, like, never be afraid to hit that rock bottom low. And whether it's a breakup or a loss or, you know, something that you failed at or something that you feel you failed at, like, that is what's going to produce the most creative juice and the most eye-opening clarity for you in your life. So, yeah. I love that. And, you know, especially if you're if you're facing something that is a, a very big fear, even though it's something completely unexpected that you can never plan for, there are always ways to move forward and there's always good that can be pulled out of it. And like you had said, you may not notice it at the time, but when you look back, everything kind of falls in place as it should. Yeah, it's so crazy. Like everything is figure outable like everything. And, um, it's like TMI, a little transparent, but I also racked up a lot of debt in college. And it was so weird because I just, and nothing mattered. I was like, Oh, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure it out. And I think that I've never applied the law of attraction quite, um, as superbly as I did to debt. Cause I was that weird, like 1% who just didn't care about it. And I don't know, like five years so so fairly recent after college, I just one day was like, oh my God, my debt's paid off. I didn't even notice. I didn't even remember that it was being taken out. But um, a lot of my inter- interns or um, previous clients, you know, people just getting out of college with all this debt, I remember being in their same situation, but they're, it's, it's like this um, shackle or trap or this like, how am I going to figure this out? What I took is it's like, it's everything is figure outable. So whatever situation you're in, whether it's legal, like some people say, well, the exceptions are the laws. And I'm like, well, you know, you're going to figure that out too. So I I mean, it's basically making yourself sick for no reason. So it's an interesting little human mechanism I observe all of the time. It's funny that you you say that about debt um, because and the law of attraction. So the interesting thing about debt, I feel, is the more you focus on debt, the more of it you attract into your life, right? Everything that you focus on is what gets brought to you. So when you just focus on moving forward and and doing things that you love and you know setting yourself up for success and you're not focusing so much on debt it can often take care of itself because you're not continually attracting that to you yes 100% and that's why i mean i used to do coaching programs but the one question or the one sort of area that i would not coach in and i would specifically say this i'd say if you want to know about my personal experience with debt, you're free to ask. And I'm not offering any advice and I don't know how I did it, but this is what's true for me. And what was true is I just did not give, I mean, can you cuss on this? I did not give a Go shit. for it. So, Go for it. <laughs> I just didn't care. I was just, it doesn't seem real or tangible. I'm like, well, I think what would possibly be worst case scenario sort of already happened to me. So I'm, Basically not if I don't think I'm going to go to jail. I mean, I just did not worry. And it was so crazy how the universe provided like every single like abundance wise um, financially. I there were like I feel that I've been through things that some people would be like, God, how did you 
you know, how did you know if you were going to make rent? How did you figure that out? And I just have had this overwhelming, like knowing, and you know, it's not all areas of life, but in the, at least financial department, I just always knew it's going to be fine. It's all going to be taken care of. And it was like new level law of attraction, but also I can't have that be my advice to just everyone because I'm not sure if I'm this enigma or my personal experiences led me to have this like unwavering certainty. So it's just a really, it's fascinating to look at in, in that respect. So, yeah. Yeah. And there's something to be said about taking a leap. So I won't, I won't talk too much on this because I've mentioned it before. And I also want to, there's so much interesting things to kind of unpack and talk about, but when I, (laughs) so when I quit my job, I actually bought a property before I quit my job. I bought a property and then quit my job like two days later because I, I just believed so badly that things would work out. And it did, which I'm not clearly not qualified to give any kind of advice on on finance either mm-hmm. because I did things backwards, but it's amazing how things just work out. Yes. It's so nuts. It's like trust. You just discover that trust, that trust in the universe and you and yourself, like it's all the same. I mean, you're, we're made of stars. So mm-hmm. that trust is really just, oh man, if it's there and you know it's coming, it's like, well, here, here it is. And even in the you know, if it doesn't come for a week or a month, I never thought like, oh, this is it. This is all going to go wrong. I'm like, oh, it should be here any day now. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, It's like unwavering optimism in certain departments of your life. Mm -hmm. I think it's so important though. It's so important. Like over the to-do list, it's like the to-be list, like being abundant, feeling the way you're going to feel. So yeah. Mm -hmm. 100%. So we're from small town to San Diego, and then you were in LA. So that whole transition, um, small town San Diego to LA, had to have been, it's just so different from where you grew up. So what was it like acclimating um, and starting to work and just really getting a feel for the area and the industry? Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like it was so, um, I feel like it's crazy because even if you're from a small town, there's certain pockets of the town that, um, I mean, to be candid in mine, it was like, you're either just kind of out there wavering or doing life. You're a farmer. You're like, I don't know, a gangster, or you've got this weird little social group. Like I always joke, I may have been from a small town, but it felt like gossip girl just because of the, um, I I went to this little private school and we had more of this lifestyle of like, gala-ing or social, like social outings, things like that. And there were these small tight-knit groups. And once, well, throughout my life and combined with everything that happened with my family, I just always weirdly felt like there were eyes on me all the time. Everyone knew everything um, type thing. College was definitely different because, well, San Diego's huge. The the school itself was huge. Um, But pivoting into media, into the industry, that was some, I mean, it's so crazy, but I see similarities between the entertainment industry and media and coaches and entrepreneurship and all of this stuff that I've been in and the small town where it's kind of everyone knows everyone. Um, yeah. So, and what I do love though is, is I'm a big fan of aesthetics, right? So like Los Banos, God bless my hometown, does not inspire me. There's like, there's dirt, there's lots of agriculture. And while I respect that, I just doesn't fuel me. It doesn't motivate me. The pace of Los Angeles or San Diego, God, San Diego, there was a ceiling to hit, but for a while before sort of, you know, seeing all there was to see, I had that same fuel. And I think in big cities, you have this pace and it can, I mean, there's like fear of being eaten alive by, I mean, a lot of people I've, I've known have moved to these big cities. It's a little bit too much. There's a little bit too much going on. And for whatever reason, I think I had this stronger foundation of, I had built a lot of friendships in Los Angeles before moving here from San Diego. Um, my, I had just met my now fiance and I was nervous about moving with, you know, a boyfriend at the time you're young, you're, you're like, what are you doing? But really it's crazy. He was nowhere he's in the very opposite of the industry. He's in tech and he's also an entrepreneur. And so I had these little foundations that allowed me to, I don't know, have this sense of home. And um, I think it was less lonely for me to transition 
to the big city of LA and I'm still just continually, continually fueled by everything that everyone's up to. And you get to meet someone new every single day, which is something that's very different from the small town is you've met who you've met and you'll re-meet them here. God, it's so amazing. There's such a melting pot. It's like, you never know who's showing up in your space and you almost 100% know they're up to something like something huge and big and life-changing and you can expand together. So it's been really cool. Yeah. Los Angeles definitely has a very special creative type of energy about it. Um, There's just something so special and you know, when I first moved here, I wasn't sure what to expect or if I would like it. I just knew I, I wanted to be here because like you said, there's just so many creative people and entrepreneurial people and someone is always doing something. But I feel like once you're here, if you stick it through, it it really, really grows on you and just becomes a part of you. Yeah. I feel like those that I know who have moved here and really like gone the extra mile to stay to make friends. Um, it's like home every time I every time I get back. And I love New York. I really do. It's similar industry-wise. But coming back to LA after you've really like established your roots, if you will, is, is special. It's unlike most cities in the world, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you left your corporate job, let's talk a little bit about what, what your journey, what turn your journey started taking at that point. So what was next after that? Yeah, that was a crazy time because I, like I mentioned, I had not been in the corporate world. I had just come from college. I didn't know what a direct, being a director even meant. And, um, I, you know, the position and be, having that title of a director um, holds some, carries some weight, I, uh, I soon discovered. Um, so after, the, so when I first stepped into the shoes, I had this office and a staff of 11 or so. And I told all my colleagues, like, oh, yeah, I'll be here for about a year, maybe maybe two. And all my colleagues would have this, um, most of them, this, like, smile of, yeah, sure, sweetheart. Like, you get, you know, you enjoy the salary. You enjoy the benefits. And we'll see if you actually leave. And they had been in there, you know, 20, 40 jobs, or 40 years. It was it's an amazing job. But I just knew that pivot for me was coming. So, um yeah, so I was doing the marketing directing. I was also on the air, uh, on the radio. They were transitioning a lot to more music mornings, just a lot of music, um, which meant, which was great, but it meant there was a lot less personality time. And I knew that I was, I knew that I wanted to build a personal brand. I had done a few publications in the Girl Boss Movement, um, Career Contessa, I'm a Girl Boss, all these articles about being this young marketing director. And I really wanted to take that and run with it. Um, so I I was basically the world's worst employee for like six months, half a year, knowing that I was about, knowing I was going to leave. And, you know, I did the bare minimum that I would stay in my office and I would have the door closed and I'd be on Twitter and I'd just be gathering all these resources and contacts and like really leveraging because I was in the industry. I was at Intercom. So I wasn't broadcasting. So I was just leveraging all these partnerships to set myself up for the next steps. And that included um, Fashion Week. So I became the host of Fashion Week San Diego while I was still in my corporate job. And then also started working with a late night show as the entertainment reporter. So I sort of was setting all this up and leveraging the fact that I was at the radio station, knowing I was going to leave, but building out this kind of transition platform uh, for myself. And then I ended up putting my two weeks in at the end of sort of six months-ish, and they were all super happy for me. I mean, they were really, like, um, supportive. I still call them to this day my radio family. And when I left, I'll never forget waking up that Monday. And after two years, like, not having to set an alarm and just walking out into my neighborhood. I lived by by the harbor, by the bay in San Diego. Like, walking out and knowing, or just, like, not knowing rather what I was going to do that day. Oh man, it was a rush and it was freeing and I was motivated and passionate. And I started just putting together all these little things, little things like one red carpet after another, one gig after the next, um, started speaking while I was in the corporate job, this company called connected women of influence was, had connected with me and I ended up giving this Sue talk. It's like this female equivalent um, of a TED talk in, in uh, Southern California. So I gave the talk about two months after I left my corporate world. 
And from that really just built this unexpected um, platform. It was like an inspirational, really per personal brand. I, uh, my now business partner at the time, he was just a, an acquaintance, saw the talk that I gave. It was very personal, very much about losing everything, but really getting into the specifics. And, you know, he said, you know, I represent speakers. I haven't in about 10 years or so. I signed a non-compete. He had um, sold his list to Success Magazine. And he said, the non-compete's over uh, this month. And I'm like looking to partner with someone amazing. And I think that could be you. And so we brainstormed it up and I started speaking a lot more. And I was just sharing my story and I was using the fashion week stuff and the red carpets to leverage this brand and entertainment. So it's weird. Like the whole television industry knew me as this um, girl boss, entrepreneurial, inspirational brand. And then in the entrepreneurship inspirational world, they knew me as this red carpet, you know, celebrity interviewer. So one sort of fed the other, but there were a lot of little things that led up to kind of where I am now. And then eventually my business partner, well, he pitched me the idea of doing a book and he had, he had co-published Chicken Soup for the Entrepreneur's Soul and remarked that in this whole girl boss world, it, you know, Sophia Amoroso was popular. She had just put oh, out yeah. um, the book Girl Boss. And he was like, we need a chicken soup for like the young millennial females in the world. And you know, I don't know if you have anything in mind, but I think you'd be perfect to head it up. And I immediately, I had this word in my, in, in my head and it was passionistas. It always has been. It was, um, it was a term I read in Marie Claire magazine while I was sort of transitioning out of my corporate world. And I loved it so much. And I'm like, well, I, I have a few ideas. And as long as the book is pink, which it was, you know, I'm on board to go halves and do this with you. So we did it and it became an Amazon number one bestseller, which was the craziest day ever. It just started hitting all these um, categories like young entrepreneurs and uh, young female demographics. And it was like number one in so many that day that I was like, well, what does this mean? So <laughs> yeah. So um, after the book started some coaching programs, quickly realized I was not a one-to-one -one, uh, girl. So it just really drained my energy. I'm more one to many. And then now there's a conference, it's called Passion to Paycheck, but it really stemmed from that journey. And now I have a conference annually where I can speak with, you know, thousands of people versus the one to one high end coaching where I was generating a ton, like more money I've ever made in my life. But in terms of fulfillment, I've never been less happy than when I was making the most money ever. Um, of my life. So I, I was like, okay, well, there's got to be a way to do the same thing, you know, except have this sense of fulfillment and knowing that I'm in my purpose. So I transitioned into Passion to Paycheck, which is sort of present day. <laughs> that is so much stuff to unpack. I'm going to try to hit a lot of the things <laughs> that I was thinking over this. So first off, I think what you did was was so smart. So when you were planning to leave your job as a marketing director, you were already thinking forward. And when a lot of people think about taking the leap, they feel like it has to be cold turkey. Like they just have to all of a sudden say, I'm done with this. And what's my next step? And then there's this big black void and they don't know what to do. So the fact that you were on Twitter, you were building relationships, you were doing things outside of work and really lining yourself up, that is such a smart way to approach it when you know in your heart that you're going to take a leap into something else. Um, so that that yes. alone is is fabulous. And I think the other thing I picked up from what you're saying is you have done such a meticulous job of understanding what gives you energy and what drains you and being fairly fast to pivot and go into something that you know is more fulfilling, which I feel like that's an area where a lot of people get stuck. They don't they don't understand that something is draining them. So they don't really know that what they need is a change. And you have been kind of a change agent for yourself over the course of the past couple of years. Yeah, no, thank you. That's, gosh, that resonates so deeply because I see it all the time where this, again, the to-do list versus the well-being, like to-be list is more important. And they're doing something that's productive by societal standpoints 
but this fulfillment isn't there. And I were like, yeah, I don't know where along the lines it was that I'm like, well, I have to feel good in this process, but it is number one. It is the priority. If something doesn't feel good, I, I mention my fiance pretty often, but we, man, we're just this team. And he really had, when I met him, I was doing anything, everything. Some of the things I felt like my hands were tied. I was just such a yeser. And his whole life, he's just a minimalist. I'm yes, he's no. And he's just my polar op- He's my polar opposite and it works so perfectly. So when I met him, he really started asking these questions that opened my eyes, which is like, if you could wave your magic wand, you know, which would you do? Or what's the one thing you can do today such that everything else becomes obsolete or less important? Um, just these little, these little areas where I was spreading myself because I thought I had to. And, and again, if you, if you are doing that, it's not, it's not telling the universe you're trusting any process. Like if you truly trusted yourself in the universe, you would trust that whatever is feeling good and fulfilling to you, it, well, that's the indicator. That's the indicator that you need, um, that you're on the right path and the path to success and all of that. So, yeah. So thanks for mentioning that. And I think it's overlooked really often. Um, just so often, like I hear language of obligation, I guess I would say so much where it's like, I I have to, even this morning, uh, same fiance, he says, Hey, you know, I have to, I have to get on this call. I said, you get to get on this call. And he laughed, but it's small, but this language of obligation creates these like, um, I don't know, barriers or this caged theme to life instead of this, you know, opportunity, which it really is. So I'm really careful about my language as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like the the words that we use and the way that we talk to ourselves, especially our inner dialogue can really make or break us, especially if, you know, somebody like you who is entrepreneurial and who is building things that they're really passionate about, all it takes is a little bit of negative self-talk to really prevent you from moving forward. And it's such a it's such a bad thing to get into when you when you feel like you have obligation and you're using words like have to. And I love that you brought up the switching have to you get to because that's been kind of an active switch that I've been trying to put into my vocabulary too is is looking at the things you get to do because everything you're doing you've chosen, right? And if you don't want to do it, you have the choice to not. Yes, exactly. This matter of choice. Like so many people think that they're just shackled by this. I mean, it's people pleasing. I suffered from it. That's how I know it so well is like, you're not alone out there. If you think that, you know, if you're constantly trying to please others and you're stretching yourself a little bit too thin and you think that you have to do these things and while you're in it, you're like, no, you don't understand. I actually have to. And I think that's the case for like 10% of the things you actually have to do. In reality, it's just this conscious choice to be honest with someone, be straight with someone, or, you know, look into your calendar or schedule and figure out what's actually going to work for you. And it's a matter of putting yourself first in that, in that situation. Exactly. So we are at the point where you did the Sue talk and then you started working on the book. So what was the process like when you were planning the book out? Um, This is something that is new territory for you. Just walk me through what that was like. Well, yeah, so I was not enrolled. <laughs> I was not at the beginning enrolled in what it really could be. And that's why I'm so thankful to my partner. So Kyle Wilson is, you know, his name is out of Texas. And he was just been in this personal development world for so long. There's no reason we should have even clicked or connected. He is, you know, he has a family of four and he's, again, 20 years older than me. It's this theme. And yet I... I, we did, we just connected and he saw me and he acknowledged me into the person that I didn't know that I was yet because I was a little bit shy to start this book process and be the one to reach out to these other women because the book is co-written with um, 39 female entrepreneurs just killing it in their industries. They've started brands and businesses that I really admired and to approach them and ask and just really pitch them on this is what the book's going to be, you know, these, that you're going to have a chapter in it. I'd like you to share anything that's real for you, any face plants or mistakes. Um, the theme was really nothing you can find on your Instagram feed. It was like a joke. And at the same token, it was the most 
real thing. It kind of kept me going. I'm like, well, I want these real stories to get out there. So I was shy. I was feeling like, how the hell are we going to pull this off? And luckily, I mean, my partner had had thought of ideas and then figured out how to implement them so many times that he was a little bit more confident than I was. So man, having that person to just cheer you on and reassure you like you are the right person. You are the person that I want to do this with. That is the reason that I, you know, that I asked you to be a part of this was so helpful. So I started pitching these um, lovely ladies at different events, right? I would go like speak and it's like a boss babes brunch or ladies who lunch or whatever the event was. I would tell them about the book. I would tell them we're interested in having conversations, um, seeing more about what you're up to. And then it was so crazy. These sign-up sheets were just like filling up and and I would have these conversations and it wasn't actually very difficult to get the book filled like I thought it would. Um, and it's interesting because the other thing that I would say is I would never do a book. I would never do a book alone and I would never do a book where I am a visionary without an integrator. And if you're familiar with entrepreneurship or the book Rocket Fuel, there is there's usually a creator and an operator or a visionary and an integrator. And I am so visionary. I am so um outer. I, I like I can envision something, I can enroll people, but the administrative tasks and that whole portion of it, like putting the actual book together, oh my God, you couldn't have paid me enough. You could not have paid me probably anything to do that. So um, yeah, so my partner in that respect was amazing because he was my, the yin to the yang. He was the sole integrator. And at the same token, by nature, he is a visionary. So I just had that other half to support me so that I could write my stories. I could enroll the girls. I could talk about what passionistas meant and I could make color choices and branding decisions based on the fact that I was the key demo, which was young millennials. And I could have this whole team um, operating, operating. And the fun, like not a lot of people know this. I, my chapter was second to last, not very last, second to last to be submitted because again, my confidence level, the belief in myself that I have today, vastly different from when we started brainstorming this, the book two years ago, I was just like, God, I guess I'm gonna have to contribute a story at the end of this. And it wasn't like, it wasn't a normal process where it's people usually have the story, they know they want to share it, they decide to write a book. This was more like write the book, start the movement, enroll the women. And I just became super passionate about the brand itself, that my story sort of came last, which was interesting. And I remember um, Kyle had a publisher, or an editor, really, an editor, and he published it. So we had an editor on hand, who was doing all of this grammatical correction. She's amazing, putting it together for the opportunity to really work with us on this project, add it to her resume. Later, she was hired as, I believe, Kyle's now to this day assistant, but it takes a village. And so many people think that, you know, writing a book consists of you writing it and then figuring out how to publish it and edit it and do all of this together. But in my sphere, at least, I am attracting teams, and I know that. So rarely, anything I do is rarely alone. Um, yeah, and so that was kind of the process. I was in New York City, and they go, we need your chapter, we need your chapter. And I resisted it, like a brat, almost. I just felt inside, like not out loud, obviously. But, you know, I said, okay, great, I'll get it over. But inside, I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't even know what this book's going to be. And then once I submitted the chapter and read the other women's stories together and held the book in my hand, oh God, that was just, I was so grateful. I was so grateful and I needed that push. So I think the lesson I took away was, okay, got it. I always need to find people who believe in me. I always need to have people to push me and sometimes push my buttons to help me expand because growing hurts and it hurt a little bit to grow that much in a year. Um, when I said yes to the project. So that was kind of the process. I love that you mentioned the yin to the yang portion. So a lot of people feel like there's a weakness in in having a partner helping you or having a group of people helping you. But if you know your strength, which in your case was, you know, the starting and the assembling, but not necessarily the administrative and, and the process of doing it, 
finding somebody or having somebody from the beginning who is the opposite that can kind of pick up the baton and do the things that aren't your strong areas is so important. And it actually reminds me, there was a book that you might be interested in checking out. It's called Millionaire Master Plan. And instead of the personalities like INFJ, ENFJ, and all of those, it looks at business personalities. And when you were saying that, you and I, I think are the same personality. So there's something called a (laughs) dynamo and it is the visionary, the strategic person. You love the starting and getting everything put into place, but you need somebody who just continues the facilitation and, and basically runs with it with all the nitty gritty details. So I think you would actually enjoy that. Yeah, no, exactly. And strategy is another, oh my gosh, like I put together the press tour, the marketing strategy. Um, That was no problem, but it was really that like, I'm not editing stories. I'm not putting this book together and figuring out how to even upload it to Amazon. (laughs) So yeah, that's what was the book called? I need to write it. Millionaire Master Plan. Millionaire Master Plan. Yeah, no, we're such big fans of the personality types and just specifically hiring based on that. Um, yeah, my oh gosh, God bless my assistant. I love her so much. Um, <laughs> just making sure that there's like a complement to your skill set. And a lot of people overlook that. And I hate the money argument where it's like, oh, I can't hire someone. And I'm someone who had two full years of amazing interns. My very first assistant was an in-trade agreement where I just mentored and coached her for half a year. And there's so many different ways Um so many different ways to do that. And so one of the things is like, if you're putting up these imaginary barriers, like everything is figure outable. It always comes down to that. It's like, chances are that there's this 10% chance that there's a legitimate obstacle in front of you. But 90% of the time, that's it's just something that someone is saying to hold them back because they're resisting actually taking the action. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's all, it's just mental, mental barriers to break through essentially. Yeah, exactly. So we have the, the book was released. It got a lot of um, readers. It was growing. Um, It attracted a lot of things into your life. So at that point you had mentioned earlier that you were doing the one-on-one coaching for a little bit, and then you decided to turn it into, I believe it was the passionate paycheck event. So when you were, you had that, the growing pains of the book and over the course of that year, but then going into creating an event, um, that whole space, what was the growth there like mentally for you? Yeah, God, that was so nuts. I feel like after the book came out, there was a lot of demand, at least inbound questions, I'd say, about um, just about the, like, how do I, how do I figure that out? Or how do I get some coaching around that? And all of these different things. So I actually ended up hiring a business coach, best decision that I personally ever made. And we put together these boss babe blueprints and each 10 week program ended in a boss babe boot camp. And, oh man, it was, it's like all an amazing way to say I got, my ass kicked in sales training, which was, that's actually what happened, which is I had to enroll every single client that I ever had, um, you know, close to 40. I had to enroll personally on a one hour phone call. And from every 10 calls made, you would probably get the one client. So I'm talking about 400 calls, dead commitment to this coaching program. And while I was getting the yeses. It was daunting and intimidating. And I grew so much, so much because I knew, all right, so I put the money down. I'm committed. I'm going to get the most out of this business coach. So I committed to myself that I was going to do whatever he said. And when he told me to get on the phone for damn 10 hours, even though I was crying and I didn't want to, I still, I got on those calls. And what it led to was this belief in myself. Um, I would have been way too afraid hypothetically to do all of that. And after doing it, I just found that there was, I don't know, it's like nothing to be, if you get no's in your life, they're saying no to themselves. Maybe they're not at a place they want to be, or maybe they want to do it, but there's excuses there. Maybe it's actually not the right fit, but it's never about you. And I really got that inside of this coaching stuff. Now, the only, the only thing was uh, after close to a, a year, um, maybe about 10 months, I was at a pretty low point. Like we talked about earlier, just 
my energy was not was not where it usually is. My positivity, my out, my optimism, my excitement for life had sort of been drained a little bit. And, and I was still, I mean, obviously I work with different networks. I do tons of red carpets and these TV appearances, but they kind of were reduced to about 20% of my week in that time span. And we identified that that's what I was missing in my life. And the equivalent to that is that each 10 week ended in a boss babe boot camp, which was a live event. Those I really loved. I loved getting everyone together in person, putting them on for a weekend. I just didn't love the ins and outs of enrolling people onto calls, showing up every single day online. I didn't love any of it. So I realized, well, what if I just did these events a la carte? So I started doing a few Boss Bay boot camps a la carte, if you will, um, every other, I mean, every, every few months. And then I really got this idea for passion to paycheck, which is what I've always wanted to do. And I figured, how can I integrate the coaching and the Boss Bay boot camp into an event where we highlight all these TV personalities from the sphere of my life that I really love and speak vulnerably inside mainstream media and like scrap the gossip and like the perfection, but sort of similar to the book, can I get these people that, um, you know, other people look up to and idolize to come to speak, to get the most out of being at this conference. And um, yeah, so I really, it was crazy. I just, I started at the Ondas about two years ago. Pardon, we're having our third annual one this spring. And it's something I just never thought I could do. And again, this is where I didn't think I could do it. And I probably couldn't have done it had I stayed alone in my head. However, from coaching, I knew that at least three of my clients could benefit from putting on an event like this. They could meet the right people. They could add to their event planning resume. Um, you know, they could host or MC it while I taught all of my uh, lessons. And so I enrolled them from the same skill set I learned. I saw, you know, I thought if they want to be a part of it. Great. If they don't, it's not me. And I have this just kick butt team of three young women who started out as my clients, actually, who have grown into some of my greatest friends who put this conference on every single year. So the lesson I learned, and it's a consistent theme is it's not alone. It's not, it's, I don't believe that you can expand. You can't expand to the degree that you want to if you set out to do everything alone. It takes other people to get as big or to get the reach or to do things on the level um, that you, if you want to play big, that you really want to, you really just need other people and you need to enroll them into your vision, which becomes their own because everyone's winning. So it was great. It's like just been so nuts. Thank you for having me share that because I'm just re-getting that for myself. What I'm taking away, I'm so impressed with your problem solving. So I hope for the listeners of this episode, you're just really taking note about how every time there was something that could have been viewed as a setback, you did creative problem solving. You didn't allow yourself to become stagnant. You kept the momentum going and you were really present in your decisions. I think that's the biggest thing is you knew when something needed to change or needed to adapt and you just went and did it like total girl boss did it. Interesting. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's funny. I call it emotional or not, but I, it's it's pretty evident when I'm not in my pur purpose and I'm not passionate about what I'm up to. So, yeah, it took about a good. It took about a week for me to realize. I don't think that. I don't think it's just an emotional. You know, um, there's hills and valleys or peaks and valleys. I thought like, oh, there's probably something about my life that's affecting me right now because I'm not very happy. And then, you know, we had a conversation with um, with my other half and we kind of just went through my daily routine and I talked about the things that I was looking forward to and the things I was dreading. And then, yeah, and what, that's something that I recommend to everyone and even my best friends is look at the things that you're most excited to do in your day and then most excited to do in your week and then your month and then your year and figure out how you can make that as close to, you can never, I mean, in my opinion, you can never make it 100% of your life, but as close to the majority of your day-to-day -day as possible. And it's worked for me um, to sort of take what I'm excited about and make it my, make it my world, if you will. Mm -hmm. 
I love that. It's it's definitely great advice. Um, and it's so it's so true. You just have to figure out what it is. And even if you can't have it 100%, you can at least have the most of it that makes you happy. Yeah, exactly. Yes, 100%. Love it. <laughs> so at this point, um, you also just recently launched a show. Congratulations. Um, it I watched an episode or two and I, I absolutely love the interviewing. So I have to ask, you have essentially designed your life. So you're hosting the events annually. Um, you have your show. You're doing red carpet events. How do you keep your energy up? What is a typical day or I guess a typical week like for you? Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a good question because there's so much in inside of that week. And I also, I'm on retainer with a few companies for hosting. So that does take a majority, but um, it's really the, I mean, my energetic management, it comes from taking these breaths and these days where in the past, when I was sort of stuck inside of this people-pleasing um world that we discussed earlier, oh man, I would have been burned, just burned out. And I wouldn't have even known that I was burned out until I couldn't do it anymore. Um, and it was, it would have been a really fast, it was just, it was a fast track to getting nowhere, to being burned into the ground. And then I started creating these boundaries for myself inside of scheduling. So I am so social and I get energy from people. And if it were up to me, I'd have a million dates a day. And it's funny because my routine and my schedule and my, you know, absolutely nots have changed so much in the last year as my career and my what I'm building has expanded. So have my restrictions and my boundaries. And I have to stay in integrity with, you know, if I say I'm not going to go, I'm going to do nothing this night, or I'm going to order a, an in-house massage, or maybe I'll go to my Reiki practitioner or um, I'm a huge bathtub of Netflix. So it's funny because I, I literally, I weave that into my week as if it's, as if I'm being paid a million dollars to do them. And I think it's that commitment to my well being that is, has really allowed me to just maintain the energy. Like I don't even, man, I used to schedule so much back to back and just coffee to coffee daily, like back to back. And now it's like, I know that there's, certain days to do that. And there's certain days not to. So I always think of myself like, okay, if I have an inner child, how am I going to discipline this inner child? And, you know, you can't go on every ride. You can't eat cotton candy till you puke and get on every roller coaster. You have to, you know, you have to balance it out. You have to base out what you're committing to. And that's how you're going to have the most fun on the, on the actual rides anyway. So, um, yeah, I think I've sort of taken that approach to my daily life and I've seen it tenfold in my well-being like just my energy my sleep my um diet and exercise like the source me is taking care of and now I get that it's the most important part um for a while I didn't it was somewhere in there that I did burn out eventually and that was about a year ago now um I just I hit this point and then restructured my whole life for four months. I didn't even send out a damn newsletter. Like I essentially retreated from everything, all of my commitments to restructure my day-to-day -day life and was the best thing that I could have done. And I did have to take a lot of time out to do it. So, you know, if you're out there feeling like you're being recreated and what I'm saying, like you're going through, you know, some of the things I just described, restructure now, because if you, if you do allow yourself to hit that rock bottom, it's, it's, probably necessary and in your life trajectory, but the recovery is going to, is tenfold. So yeah, I would say take care of it now versus having to take care of what actually broke later. Mm -hmm. yeah. I love that. And the, the concept of kind of scheduling self-care, like you mentioned, is a really cool concept because a lot of us feel like we have the obligation of work and then relationships and friendships and family. And then we schedule ourselves kind of in between everything. And some days that just doesn't exist because you're so tired. But if you treat yourself like your number one priority and you say, okay, I have this gym block um, scheduled in for this many days of the week and nothing will change that, treat yourself kind of like your own meeting in a way. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's like if you're showing up for everyone else, then you trust that those other people are going to show up. But if you have been putting these commitments on the calendar 
constantly telling yourself you're going to do something and you don't do it, your soul actually doesn't trust you. <laughs> like you need to build trust with yourself the same way you would with another person. So starting slow and just, um, and also giving yourself a break, right? Like if I'm using my electronics after eight and I had written that I wouldn't, I, um, not getting overly upset with yourself, but just witnessing and taking note and being aware that you're sort of past that promise you made to yourself. Let's shift gears and just softening the reactions to things, I think is also, it's, it's just smoother. You get to transition and not be mad at yourself all the time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And even personal boundaries are good. So the boundaries that you have with yourself. Yeah. No, absolutely. Exactly. Oh, man. It's like there's nothing better than you. Hello. Like, <laughs> exactly. It's so funny. No one can see me, but I would, I like, I'm, I want to kiss my arm right now because I'm like, oh, wow. I realized that you're the most important. Um, oh, it's such, it's like an honoring I've never known. Um, but it did take, take a little rock bottom action to get there. Like you were saying at the very beginning of all of this, is like sometimes you have to hit it to really know and be grateful for what you, live in every day, which is your body, your mind. Like those are the things that kind of comprise your experience here. Exactly. I agree 100%. So I feel like we're at a good point. So we actually almost circled back to the beginning, like you were mentioning with hitting rock bottom and really working to reinvent. I love to do speed rounds with guests. So I just shoot out a couple of questions and (laughs) without context, you just give an answer. So are you ready for that? Yes, I'm ready. All right, let's get into it. So favorite book or podcast? Uh, The Alchemist and this podcast. I don't do a lot of podcasts. Really? Yeah, it's so crazy. I'm trying to, oh, I like the NPR, How I Built This. Okay, I'll have to check that one out. I haven't heard of that before. I'm a video girl. I don't know why I like a visual medium. (laughs) Okay, two badass songs that get you pumped up. Ooh, uh, Jason Derulo. Um, shit, I'm the one you want to want me. I'm the worst with the song titles, but I love it. And then this song that's on right now called Bra- uh, Breaking All My Innocence. It's such a terrible title, but it's like, oh my God, they pump it at the gym and I just, I lose myself. It's amazing. Go YouTube it. <laughs> I will for sure. Okay. So I have four words here, boldness, adaptability, fearlessness, and confidence. Which of these words do you feel got you to where you are now? And what is one word that you want to build upon? Oh, man. Wow. Wow. Um, definitely adaptability. A hundred percent. I think adaptability got me oh, exactly to where I am. Like that soft reaction. Um, not the hard ones. Not the, oh, my God, the world's caving in. I've got a retreat. But really just adapting to the situations and the curveballs and the circumstances that were thrown um, definitely got me to where I am. And then I think you said boldness, right? Was that one of them? Yeah. I would say, I would say boldness. I I think I was in, um, I was trapped in this, you know, this mind trap of humanity that being polite is right. And it held me back for a while because I would just want to do things that were a little bit under the radar, very polite. I don't want to be brash. I don't want to be too outlandish or out there or, you know, put myself into this bold space. But the more courageous I get, um, the action I take from that courageous place, those are the ones that pay tenfold. So I'd like to build upon the boldness 100%. I feel like there is a whole other conversation at some point that can come out of exactly what you were saying around boldness. So let's let's just remember that for another day. Yeah, I'm bookmarking it. (laughs) Memory bank. (laughs) (laughs) Who is somebody, this can be somebody in your immediate life or just somebody that you um, admire from afar, who do you feel truly lives permissionless and why? Oh, God. I guess it's got to be my other half. I don't know. I'm just, um, I'm in awe with my fiance, Jock Pirtle. He's just like, permissionless is the definition of his life. In fact, when we met, I was going to teach him how to be more polite and how to be more um accommodating and how to say things that were appropriate. And he was just so, he's so authentic. He is so who he is. And it's led him to take these huge risks. He kills it in his space. Um, He runs a company called Digital Exits. They were on uh, Inc.'s top 10 brokerages last year. 
And I met him and I'm like, wow, this guy doesn't give one flying F. And and it was so funny because it both inspired me and I, I thought that I had to teach him how to be more <laughs> empathetic to the people around him. And I think he's picked up some of that. Like there are certain situations where, you know, empathy is going to kick in tenfold and it's he's taken that um to build with, but I've just been so inspired by, especially inside of business and his career and the world, how damn he doesn't need permission from anyone to make any call, to do anything or to say what's on his mind in the best way possible. So I've grown to love it. It's so great that it seems with your relationship, you both can take a little bit of, of something inspiring or new to learn from each other, which is to me the perfect relationship. Yeah, no, it's exactly, <laughs> that's, that's the uh, definition of us. So as far as our listeners, we have a lot of listeners who haven't made a big leap yet, or they're wanting to chase something, but they haven't necessarily taken the first steps. What is a piece of advice that you would give somebody who is at that point? Oh, man. Oh, God, there's so much to say. And it's, oh, man, it's really, what are you waiting for? Why? Like, why, why, why? The, I guess the repercussions of waiting are going to outweigh the repercussions of actually taking that leap tenfold. I, it's just, it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. And like, what I'd want to say is this is a way of life. I know it may, may not be your immediate peers or colleagues or parents way of life, but it is a way of life. I'm living it. Uh, Selena's living it. Ever, like there are people specifically that I assume have been on this show that are living it. And there's a way to to live freer and inside your purpose. And at the end of the road, you know, what, when you meet your maker, the maker is not going to ask why you weren't um, Ellen or why you weren't, you know, Jesus even. They're going to ask why you weren't you. Like, why were you not you, who you knew yourself to be? And that would be, you know, that one regret. And the only time to really reprimand that is now. So oh, take that leap. What? Why? 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 It just blows my mind. Just go. <laughs> I feel like, I mean, I've, I've taken the leap, but you just motivated me exponentially. I feel like I just want to go run around in circles now. <laughs> that was yeah, a great yeah, piece of cool. advice. I'm like, oh, I want to go swimming. I want to go do something. Yeah. <laughs> and lastly, is there anybody that you'd like to see on the Permissionless podcast? Ooh, gosh, there's so many people. I don't even, um, yeah. I mean, people I'd like to see on the permissionless podcast. Um, I mean, so many, I, I think we just had her on the show, Kenya Claiborne, um, from style and society. She just, what she's created with an online magazine, it, it was like truly the first of its kind. And I'm just on a high from that. So inspired from it. So, um, yeah, I think Kenya is definitely living permissionlessly. Um, a thousand percent. And I mean, hey, if I could get my fiance on here, he doesn't, he is so the opposite of us and me and this whole media space. But, you know, it's, it would be brash, it would be direct, and it might be a rude awakening for the listeners. So maybe him too. <laughs> that, that could be a very interesting conversation. I'm all about the brashness and the boldness. I <laughs> love it. All right, Erica. So if our listeners want to check you out online and see what you have coming up, where can they find you and what are the new things that you're working on? Yeah, awesome. I um, Well, you can find me at ericadelacruz.com. So it's a lot of basic information. Um, also, my, so my social feeds and channels are being updated on the homepage constantly. And then to follow along, we have the conference. We have Passionate Paycheck coming up this spring. Super exciting. You can uh, sign up for the mailing list at passiontopaycheckevent.com. You can also follow along on Instagram at passion to paycheck. And then uh, really Instagram is my my home base. I tweet as well, which I love, but the handle is at underscore Erica Dela Cruz. And that's Erica, E-R-I-K-A, Dela Cruz, D-E-L-A-C-R-U-Z. So come hang out and see what's cooking. I'm up to so many crazy things all the time. So come on over. All right. And from firsthand, I can say if you need a kick in the pants or some motivation, definitely check out her social channel. She does such a great job of just keeping you happy and motivated whenever you pop in there. And for listeners, this will all be in the show notes. So if you want to revisit anything that was said or anything that Erica had mentioned, it'll be right here in the episode for you to check out. Erica, 
thank you so much. This was a fantastic conversation. Um, you know, we had connected before and I, I just knew you had so many great things to talk about inside of you. And I'm, I'm really in awe of your journey and your constant reinvention of yourself. Thank you. And thank you for bringing them out. I feel like it's rare that you just sort of, you know, it's rare to recap your own life. So the pleasure was mine. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in and I'll catch you for the next episode. Thank you so much for tuning into the second season of Permissionless. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, share it with somebody that you think would love it. We are a very small team. So any kind of sharing you can do, we 100% appreciate it. In the meantime, check us out on permissionless.com and you can find me on all social networks as Selena Vidya.